We'll join Pastor Phil now in Revelation chapter 9 to find out more. In verse 11, we read, And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. And they technically mean the same thing. Uh, The Hebrew means destruction, the Greek means the destroyer. Now, some people identify this angel of the bottomless pit is the devil. Uh, I don't really see it that way because the devil is not really in the bottomless pit right now. Remember, when this demon army gets released, they have a king over them that comes up with them. The devil is not in the bottomless pit yet. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3, uh, when Jesus comes back, he's going to cast the devil and his demons into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And so at that time, the devil will be associated with this abuso. Right now, though, as I've already said, he's got freedom to roam the earth. He even has access to heaven. I feel that this demon or fallen angel is just one of his lieutenants, one of, just a, a, an exceptionally, exceptionally violent, evil, fallen angel that's part of the devil's hierarchy. Because there are there is a hierarchy, isn't there? As Paul called them, there's thrones and dominions and principalities and powers. That's rankings. Just like God's angels are in ranks. You see some of the head angels like Michael and Gabriel, the chief princes. Uh, The devil has his demonic army and they have their ranks as well. And this is obviously a high level lieutenant in the army of the devil. And he is called destroyer, destruction. And uh, he's going to lead this demonic army over the face of the earth. And, of course, the fact that John calls them by both the Hebrew and the Greek name indicates that this, these creatures are going to affect Jews and Gentiles. Unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Gentiles, obviously. There are many unbelieving Jews in the world today. And, of course, many unbelieving Gentiles. And so the Jews will not be exempt because they are God's chosen people. Uh, As Paul said in Romans 2, you can be a child of Abraham by bloodline and not be a child of Abraham by faith because Abraham believed God and became a a child of God and the father of all those who believe because of his faith. And so anybody who puts faith in the Messiah becomes a spiritual child of Abraham, a spiritual Jew. Well, verse 12, John said, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So the worst is yet to come. You think it's bad, right? You think it's, this is pretty bad. The worst is yet to come. Doesn't it just amaze you that as long-suffering and patient and merciful as God is, that 
So many people are just bound and determined to go to hell. That's why I laugh when people say to me, how can a God of love send people to hell? And I say, you've got to be kidding me. A God of love doesn't send anybody to hell. A person chooses to go there. And to go to hell, you've got to work pretty hard at it because all your life you have got to reject, resist the mercy and love of God in, in how He brings people across your path and He brings situations across your path to get you to think about life and he even maybe put you through some heartache to cause you to wake up and receive Christ so that you won't have to spend eternity in hell and people put their head down and they charge right ahead into destruction and it's nobody's fault but their own. So it's just mind-boggling to see the rebellion of man. Yet man wants to point a finger at God and say that God is not a loving God. Why? Because look, at he sends people to hell. He sent his son to the earth so that we wouldn't have to go to hell. If you wind up going to hell, it's because you wanted to go there. You purpose to go there because God is trying everything in his power to get you to come to live with him forever. And we got as far now as to the sixth trumpet in chapter 9, verse 13. John said, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now you remember that the tabernacle in the wilderness was a model of the throne of God. And in the tabernacle in the wilderness, as you walked into the first compartment of the tabernacle was the holy place. And then you had the most holy place, which was separated from the holy place by a curtain. In the holy place, you had the table of showbread to the right, to the left, you had the menorah, the seven-branched uh, golden oil-burning lampstand. And right in front of the curtain was a golden altar with horns on each of the four corners called the altar of incense. This is where the priest came and he would offer incense to God, which represented the prayers of God's people. Once a year, he would bring blood onto this altar and he would put it on the four horns for atonement. Only once a year. The altar of sacrifice was outside the brazen altar. That's where animals were typically sacrificed and blood was spilled. And so in heaven, we see that this is the reality of what the tabernacle represented. And before the throne of God, there is also a golden altar, an altar of incense. It was from this altar in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, or excuse me, chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, that incense was offered, it represented the prayers of the saints. And, and we said at that time that those prayers were probably uh, imprecatory prayers. What does that mean? Prayers of impre uh, imprecation were prayers that were asking God to uh, judge enemies, you know, to, to right the wrongs against God's people. In the Old Testament, David prayed imprecatory prayers where he asked God to judge his enemies, you know, to come against those who had persecuted and killed God's people. And, and we said that in chapter 6 as well, we saw uh, people, souls uh, under the altar, crying out to God, how long before you avenge our blood uh, against the people of the earth who have taken our lives, and so on. It seems as though now God is getting ready to answer these prayers. So 
the horns of the altar, the sixth angel. John says, I heard a voice from these horns, which is uh, the altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, these are wicked angels. Why do we know that? Because good angels have no reason to be bound. These are exceedingly wicked angels to the point where God actually has them bound because to let them roam loose, it would actually, they would actually cause so much destruction and chaos that God actually keeps these, has kept these angels bound, and he's going to release them at a certain time. When it talks about uh, prepared for the hour and day and month and year, that's not the total length of the time that they're going to be working their evil. It's basically they have been prepared for a certain hour and a certain day and a certain month and a certain year. In other words, there is a, an exact point in time where God is going to allow these angels to be released. And when they are released, they are going to kill a third of mankind. Now, we remember in chapter 6 how that a fourth of mankind was already killed. And now you have a third of the remaining population of the earth is now going to be killed. At this point, by the time the sixth trumpet judgment is completed, you're going to have over half the world's population is going to be killed. I mean, that's about three and a half billion people. That is absolutely, it's hard for us to get our minds around a number like that. Why are these angels bound at the Euphrates River? Uh, that's a good question. I really don't know why. All I can say is that the Euphrates River and that whole area is very significant in the scheme of, the, of Bible history. Let me give you some examples. The Garden of Eden was located somewhere in this area. Uh, the sin of man began in that area. The first murder was committed there. The first war was fought there. Here is where the flood began and spread over the face of the earth. That is where the Tower of Babel was erected. This is the area to which the uh, uh, Israelites were brought during the Babylonian captivity. Babylon, the area there by the Euphrates, was the fountainhead of all false religious systems and cults. I don't know what, what is going on in a, in a spiritual sense uh, with the Euphrates River. We don't know if um, because of all the things that have gone on in the history of the world that have been located there, things that are very important to, bi uh, to biblical prophecy and just the whole story of redemption in, in general. Uh, we don't know what's going on here, but apparently God has got four angels chained at this river Euphrates somewhere uh, inside of it, underneath it, something. And uh, he is going to release them in chapter 9, verse 16 says, now... The number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, John says. Can you imagine an army of 200 million demons being released on the earth? Well, the Bible tells us here that they're going to kill one third of the earth's population. Now, we know the number was 200 million, not because John took the time to count them all. That would be impossible. The number was told him. And, uh, you know, many army, uh, excuse me, many commentators and, and a lot of Christians try to, uh, uh, to interpret this as the um, Chinese army. Uh, hold on to that thought because I want to just read verses 17 through 19 and then we'll talk about that. But John goes on to say, And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, um, 
hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Some like to compare this 200 million strong army with the army that's mentioned in chapter 16, verse 12, where it talks about the kings from the east lead, you know, their armies over, and eventually they wind up doing battle with the Antichrist. And a lot of people say, well, you know, this is the... Um, the Red Chinese Army, which back in the 70s boasted a, uh, that they had 200 million soldiers in their army. And so that number was very you know, interesting because here we have a number 200 million. And so people want to kind of put the two together. But in chapter 16, we get no reference to how big that army is. And also that army arrives on the scene during the sixth bowl judgment, which takes place during the seventh trumpet judgment. We're in the sixth trumpet judgment. We're not there yet. All right. So to say that that what's going on here is actually uh, the same as what's happening in chapter 16. We're not there yet. We're in the sixth trumpet judgment. So that's one of the reasons why I don't really see it as the same army. What is it then? Why? I just think it's best to, to interpret this as another demonic army. We saw uh, one army in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9, uh, this demonic army that were like locusts, and yet they had tails like scorpions that came climbing out of the bottomless pit and went about the face of the whole earth, um, stinging anybody who didn't have the seal of God on their foreheads. And God refused to let people die for five months, even though the torment was so severe and people tried to commit suicide. Uh, the Bible says God is not going to let the spirit leave the body for five months during this time. Why? Well, as we said last week, I think God's showing his mercy there. You say, how is that? Because a lot of people make the claim that, you know, hell is right here in the earth. There is no such place as a real hell. Hell is right now. And you hear, hear people say that, you know, this is hell. You know, I don't believe in a place called hell. This is hell. Well, this is not technically hell. The Bible talks about a place, a real place called hell, that people will go to for eternity who have rejected Christ as their Lord and Savior. But God's judgments are not without mercy. You know, Habakkuk, said, and, and the prophet Habakkuk said, Lord God, in judgment, remember mercy. And even though God is judging sin because he has to, he's a righteous God, he's still leaving the door open for people to get saved if at any time they will get on their knees and confess their sins and receive Christ, then they will escape hell forever. And so God in his mercy is allowing hell to come to the earth for five months. I mean, what would you rather have? Hell on earth for five months where you experience some of the pain of hell for five months or to be cast into the real hell for all eternity and experience the fullness of the pain and torment of hell forever. If God can get people to taste a little bit of what hell is going to be like right here on the earth while they still have time to repent and receive Christ. That, to me, is an act of mercy. And so that was a demonic army. And here I think we see another demonic army unleashed on this earth. 
Now, whereas with the locusts, they were only given power to torment, not to kill. We said last time death took a holiday or was going to take a holiday for five months at that time. Now, with this second wave now, this sixth trumpet judgment, these creatures are unleashed, and believe me, death returns with a vengeance. A third of mankind is going to be killed. You say, in what period of time? I don't know. But that's a lot of people. A lot of people. But I do believe it is demonic in nature. Uh, I like what Donald Gray Barnhouse, and he's got an excellent commentary on Revelation if you're interested, but he said this, and I quote, It might be well to point out also that so far as Asia is concerned, demon religions are all east of the Euphrates River. India is said to have 33 million gods, and we are told in the Bible that all the gods of the heathen are demons. Psalm 96, verse 5. And so that area of the world, not that there isn't occultism and all kinds of garbage that has come, you know, to the West. But a lot of the demonic religions are really localized in this area. And we believe because the Garden of Eden started there, uh, you know, in the area that later became the, where the Tower of Babel was built, which eventually became Babylon, the mother of all harlots or the mother of all false religious systems, uh, we believe that you know, the, the lie that actually uh, grew into what we call Hinduism or the, in the New Age movement and anything that encompasses the belief that man is really God, he just needs to be enlightened to the fact that he's God and he can evolve into full potential in Godhood if he understands the laws that, you know, he needs to tap into to find out that he's really God. Uh, that's a lie that got started in the Garden of Eden. It's a lie that is now spread throughout the world. But because this is the area that spawned that lie, God seems to be pouring out judgment here first and then across the face of the whole earth. Now, before actually describing the horses, and really the, the horses that these demons are riding, and maybe these are demons as well, we don't know, uh, they're the ones that inflict all the, uh, the damage. They're the ones that, the horses are the things that really kill people, all right? But John does give us a description of the riders, and uh, just briefly, and he notes that the riders had breastplates uh, the color of uh, fire red, uh, also of um, hyacinth, which is a deep blue, and brimstone, which is a kind of a, a yellowish, okay, sulfur yellow, okay? Uh, the idea of fire, smoke, and brimstone. These are all used to describe hell. Uh, these creatures are coming right out of the pit. Uh, and what's happening is they're, they're really representing hell. I mean, again, God is allowing the people of this earth to have a taste of what hell is going to be like. And uh, in the hopes that some of them will give their hearts to Christ. Well, in verse 20, it says, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues or by these plagues, did not, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's really incomprehensible for us to think that by this time now, in the tribulation period. Now, we are past the midpoint, all right? It's just hard for us to get our mind around 
the fact that there's been so much suffering and death, all these judgments God has been pouring out, all the while giving people a chance to repent. As we have studied these, you notice that God brings some judgments, then things quiet down for a while. God brings more judgments, then things quiet down for a while. And it's almost as if God is bringing waves of judgment and then causing there to be a time of peace where people can think about what's just happened and to give them time to repent. During this time, God has unleashed 144,000 Billy Grahams or Paul the Apostles preaching the gospel throughout the face of the whole earth. I mean, these are dynamic, spirit-filled evangelists. He has also been using the two witnesses, which we're going to find more about next week in chapter 11, the two witnesses that have been preaching to the whole world for three and a half years. We learn in chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, God actually lets an angel loose who flies throughout the midst of the sky proclaiming the everlasting gospel. And all of that coupled with all the people who have gotten saved and are also preaching the gospel. And for all of it, the majority of the people of this world refuse to repent and refuse to come to the Lord. The fact that they would not repent of their sorceries and murders and thefts indicates, of course, that they're practicing those things. And they wouldn't give him up. Kind of reminds me of Jesus' ministry in a way. How Jesus went about doing good and working miracles and healing the sick and causing the, the blind to see and the lame to walk and raising the dead and so on. And yet it says in John's gospel that the religious leadership, the scribes and Pharisees in particular and Sadducees, for all he did and all he taught, they rejected him. And John went on to say, it's just like Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. And that's out of John 12, verses 38 to 40. What is John saying? Well, he's quoting Isaiah And Isaiah found himself in a similar situation back in his day where Israel had turned against God and they were into idolatry and all kinds of immoralities that were associated with idolatry, you know, um, orgies and things that they used to engage in to worship these uh, these deities, these fertility goddesses and so on. And God sent Isaiah to the people to plead with them to repent, to turn away from these things that God might not have to judge them and could start blessing them again. But by this time, the people's hearts had gotten so hard that they, they just didn't want to hear it. And so it is, wasn't Jesus' day, and so it's going to be in this day. I don't know how many people are going to actually get saved. doesn't look like too many. As it seems to indicate here, the rest, well, verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And people read those things and go, oh, come on, we don't worship those things today. Uh, Just check in your garage and see if anything qualifies. Look at your house made of wood and so on. So a lot of people worship their homes, worship their cars, worship their bank accounts, worship a lot of things that they don't have little idols that they bow down to, but they're still worshiping the concept. I mean... In that regard, a pagan is far more honest about his pagan uh, idolatry than we Americans are. At least a pagan 
takes a little piece of wood or stone or whatever and carves for himself a little god mammon or whatever and bows down to worship the god mammon who is the god of, of, uh, of money and, and pleasure and all. Now, we don't do that per se, but people still worship the idea of pleasure and money and so on and so forth. We have gods today. Anything that is the master passion of your life, whatever you live for, whatever gets you up in the morning, that whether you know it or not is your God. And if it's anything other than the Lord God Almighty, it's a false God. Therefore, you're an idolater. And that's what the Bible says. And I think all of us can be sucked into it on some level. Even believers. We can put material things before the Lord, before others, and so on. So we need to examine our hearts. But uh, I want you to notice, though, it says again in verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their idolatries, John says. They didn't stop worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. day, by day.